Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I'm chatting with Kristen King, a sweary coach for service-based entrepreneurs. So just a warning, you might want to put those headphones on if you're in the car with little ones. I promise you, though, it's so worth it. Kristen's work as a coach has made massive impact in the personal and professional lives of so many women entrepreneurs. If you're a female entrepreneur, mompreneur, whatever you want to call it, or you have a side passion that you want to grow, you have to check out this episode. Kristen has such a powerful energy that makes you feel understood and also inspired to take action. She has such a great way of balancing compassion with telling it like it is, and I love how vulnerable and real she gets. It's so relatable. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. You're going to absolutely love Kristen. But first, here's a little bit more about her. Kristen Kang has been a business coach since before business coaching was cool. Starting in the early 2000s after she took her first solo business to six figures less than two years out of college. That's when Kristen started teaching other entrepreneurs across the U.S. and internationally how to build wildly successful businesses on their terms. Today, Kristen teaches coaches, therapists, healers, and other brilliant service-based entrepreneurs how to build their own fuck yeah business without overcomplicating things, making them feel like they have to do stuff they dread, or burning themselves all the way out. In addition to being a multi-certified integrative coach, Kristen is also a certified hypnotist and a certified mental health and wellness facilitator with graduate degrees in business and publishing. She has 15 plus years of experience in not just entrepreneurship and coaching, but also marketing, copywriting, digital and content strategy, instructional design, publishing, and more. And we talk about all these things in our conversation, but specifically, we talk about the deeper meaning of money in entrepreneurship, moving through the stories we tell ourselves about how we want to feel, decoupling our own wellness and our worth and value in this world from our ability to perform for others, and why we need to be brave enough to run towards that discomfort and so much more. You guys can find out more from Kristen at her website, kristenking.com, and that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-I-N-G.com. You can sign up for her emails. You can check out her podcast, connect with her on social at Kristen King as well, and you can also sign up for her upcoming events and see how you can work with Kristen. I can't wait to share this episode with you guys. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Kristen King. Enjoy. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's been a long time coming. (laughs) Yes, I am so excited. We were finally able to do this. We had so many months where we had to move it and we're finally here. (laughs) Well, because life, right? I mean, (laughs) yes. Kids, life, work. Yeah. Families, stuff. So many things. (laughs) All good. All good. I'm so glad we're here today doing this. So I would love to start by having you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do. 
Yes. So I am a sweary coach for entrepreneurs. So if you are listening with kiddos, go ahead and pop those AirPods in and I'll, uh, I'll give you a second to do that or maybe hit pause. Um, but I am a, I'm a sweary coach for service-based entrepreneurs who want to take their business from fuck me to fuck. Yeah. And I work with them to go through everything that's happening in their business and their life that feels like somebody else's plan for them, but not their plan for themselves. All the stuff that they dread, the stuff that stresses them out, the stuff they never wanted to do in the first place, but they felt like they should. We get rid of all of that and we plug in the things that actually light them up and really make the most of, of who they are and what they actually want to be doing and their gifts and their passions and put that into their business. So it doesn't just light them up personally and their clients, but also like the whole rest of their life. And so that's, that's my jam. I work with people one-on-one and in groups and, um, I've been doing coaching full-time since when did I start full-time 2021, but I've been coaching in some form since like 2006. So I've been, I've been, this is not my first rodeo. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How did you know you wanted to do this? You know, I've always been kind of a, a personal development enthusiast. I always enjoyed, you know, like self-help and reading Same. psychology books. And like, I go read like PubMed articles for fun. Um, you know, I've, I've just always been fascinated by how humans work and human relationships and human thriving. And when I um, started my first business right out of college in 2004, it was very successful very quickly. I, I had a full-time job in the publishing industry. But while I was working that job, I also was building a freelance communications business on the side. And I hit six figures like about 18 months in, quit my job, started doing that full time and really kind of rocketed up in terms of my business and my performance and and my my fame, if I may. (laughs) Um, And because it, it was going so well and I was doing things that people really hadn't like seen anyone do before. Um, they started asking me for, for support for coaching. And so I was doing workshops and seminars and mentoring and and working with people one-on-one. And I just loved it. Like, even when I was a kid, I would do like peer mentoring stuff. And, you know, it, it was just, it was just always like a big part of who I am. Um, and so, so I started doing that and then I ended up getting a corporate job, but my corporate job was in a public health consulting firm. And my particular area of expertise was mental health and trauma. And so I got to continue working in the area of of understanding how humans work and how we grow and how we change and neuroplasticity and how we Mm. respond to the things that happen to us. And so it all just sort of kept accumulating. And um, like late 2019, early 2020, Somewhere around there, I had recently finished my MBA and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next because I still had that same corporate job. I was come, I I had been working there for twelve years when I when I eventually left, um, and I had I went to a, a personal development seminar uh, right around that same time, and I was like, you know what, this is this is actually what I want to be doing. I actually want to be doing this. I want to be working with people. Yeah either individually or in a group setting, but like on a much larger scale to be directly and intentionally helping them craft a life and a self that they actually want that makes them feel like who they are. So it was, you know, people would be like, you know, I didn't choose the game. The game chose me. Like, I feel like, I feel like this is just what I was always supposed to be doing. 
And I was really ready after having been with my company for so long, I was really ready for a new challenge and they were ready for, you know, like they were evolving. And so it was a really logical time for me to kind of go off and do my thing. And it's, it's, it's been awesome. I just love it. That's awesome. And yeah, I think like you touched on so many things. I mean, I think you and I are, are very much aligned with that passion for, um, human behavior and really Mm -hmm. learning about how people tech. I mean, I feel like that was something that I really enjoyed even when I was a kid, I just kind of would, I'd love to just observe and, and try to like learn a little bit more about why people acted in the way that they do. And yeah, I mean, I loved my psychology classes in high school and college. I found that so interesting. And I always say, if I could go back and do life over again, I would study psychology and be a therapist. I'm just Mm -hmm. so interested in it. And, and yet I think there's so much of that kind of work that we integrate into both of what we do today. Right. And so Mm -hmm. without actually being, you know, a formal, like, you know, clinical therapist. Right. So I, I love that. I love that we can take that passion and empathy for people and yet also, you know, be able to translate that into a business, into being able to help not only ourselves, right? Because there's so much fulfillment in the work that we do, but also be able to to help other people believe in themselves that they can do this. Yeah. And it's really interesting because everybody pretty much wants exactly the same thing. There's just details that differ, right? But at the end of the day, we want to feel safe. We want to feel like people give a shit about us. We want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like we have some, some sense of purpose in the world that we're here for a reason. And for me personally, the way I articulate it is like, I want it to make a difference that I was here. Like, I don't, I don't want to just like show up and then vanish into the ether and leave nothing behind. Yeah. And and most people want to have a, a purposeful, satisfying life now, but they also want to leave a legacy. An and impact. so much of, of where we run into struggle and fear and stress and anxiety and shame is the idea that like, we're not capable of doing that, that we don't matter enough to do that, that nobody wants what we have. And it causes us to, to do things like pushing money away, like spending it the second we get it, like undercharging chronically and like kind of torpedoing opportunities that we get because it doesn't feel safe, but it, it all comes back to those same things. It's, it's like safety and purpose and connection. And so, you know, I know you, you work in finance and money and I'm, I'm in business, which obviously touches on that, but I'm, I'm a, like a holistic integrative coach. And I do have that long background in behavioral health from my public health consulting days. I'm a non-clinical professional, but I worked in behavioral health for over a decade and, and seeing how all of those desires and how the ways that we opt them out with our money, with our business, with our marriage, whatever ties into that, that human behavior and that need for connection and safety is really, really fascinating. Yeah. Agreed. And I, my career started in financial services. I'm still in financial services, but I look at this very differently. I think than the average, you know, financial advisor or financial planner. I mean, I am looking at it from that exact angle from like the, how can we, how can, instead of just giving our clients like the numbers and the guidance, and this is the recommendation that I would do here and here, like, what does that actually mean? And what's the underlying, Mm -hmm. what are, what are the underlying goals? And for the most part, people aren't asking those questions to get it because those are deep questions and money is so triggering 
and there's so much shame and there's so, so much um, emotion that's tied to it. But if you can get to that point with somebody, it really delves into those exact same points that you were just talking about mm-hmm. money. I'm sorry. We use money to make us, we want it to make, so we feel safe. We want it so that we can have connection. We can do the mm-hmm. things that we want to do with the people that we want to, we want in our lives. Right. So we mm-hmm. want to have purpose. We want to know that we matter. Right. We want to you know build a legacy. We want to have impact. Right. So I think if we actually get down to that level with people, it's vulnerable, but that's where the mm-hmm. juicy stuff is. And that's where I think yes. you can really, really make a significant impact in a client's life or a- another person's life. Absolutely. And and we say this in like a business context all the time, but I think it also applies more generally that money is the lagging indicator. Yeah. So you can be making changes in your business. You can be, you know, starting something new, selling, growing, whatever. And it takes a little while for the revenue to catch up with the stuff that's happening on the front end. Right. And I imagine that you see this a lot in your work too, when people come to you for financial insight and guidance and recommendations, the money is like the surface level. It's the thing that rose to the top, Yeah. but it's, it's just the surface. All the other stuff, like you said, is that yeah. deeper stuff and the way that we interact with money and the way that we relate to money and the stories we tell ourselves about it all started way, way earlier than that number in our bank account today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. And, and I think ultimately people are the, when you go into something and you're, you're working with entrepreneurs and you're coaching people to find a career or to create a career with their passion, right. While pursuing their passion, which isn't always the easiest thing because everybody's taught when you get out of school, get a job that makes money. Right. So that's why people mm-hmm. go into like you know, being a doctor or being a lawyer or, you know, whatever that financial services, because they know that it makes money. Right. And mm-hmm. ultimately people think that money is the goal. Money is the goal so that I can live a happy life. Right. But it's backwards. So mm-hmm. we need to, we need to dissect that. And I'm sure that's what you're doing with your clients is kind of flipping that upside down. Like what is the, what's the goal? What's the purpose? What I like to say is, is ask yourself that question, like start with the question, how do I want to feel? What is it that I want to experience? How do I want to feel on a daily basis? And then sort of like back into it from there, right? Back Mm -hmm. into what it is that we do and how we get there, but start with the feeling, not necessarily the the product, right. Which is the money, which is the, you know, the, the, the likes, the followers, like all of that stuff. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and the money, so it's, this is not to say money doesn't matter because that would be absolute bullshit. But you and I both know that the research shows that once you hit a certain point where your basic needs are fully met and you, you know, you have housing, shelter, you know, food, access to medical care, like when your basic needs are met, there is not a significant increase in happiness above that threshold, no matter how much more money you make. It's it's modest. Like there's, there's not none, but it's like virtually none. It's not what people think it is. And so like, you know, like maybe you can afford a new car, but the thing that significantly increases your happiness isn't necessarily the car. It's like the sense of safety and consistency and certainty that it brings. It's like that security piece. So people would be like, once, once I make $500,000, I know I'm going to be happy. But if you're not happy, once all of your basic needs are met, you're probably not going to be substantially more happy at $500,000 because the money isn't the issue. 
And Absolutely. Right. So like, if you feel, if you have like a fundamental experience of yourself as like, not enough, I never win. I can't get ahead. Um, I'm never safe. The world's against me. Everything's for other people, not me. More money is actually going to amplify that. Like it makes, it just makes us more of who we are. Again, if you're, if you're not able to make ends meet, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which what is it like 43% of Americans are living paycheck mm-hmm. to paycheck now. It's mm-hmm. like a hard Heidmar. Like there is absolutely an increase in happiness and joy and safety and security once that is handled and you're not scrambling every month. But beyond that, it's really not that much more. It's the right. things that the money gives us access to. Yes. And we can start to do that now. But if you, if you feel like a trash human who can never do anything right and will never be happy or successful at a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're still going to feel that way at $500,000 a year. If you don't go in and deal with that shit that made yeah. you feel that way in the first place. Yeah. And, and this touches on two things, right. That I talk about a lot on the show, which is, um, one that I always say, it's never the thing. It's never the, you know, whatever it is that you want to buy, it's the pair of shoes or the, like you said, the car, whatever it is, it's, it's never the thing. It's the feeling behind the thing. And Mm -hmm. for me, right. I, a lot of my listeners are women, moms, working moms, and we are running on, as I like to call it, running on this treadmill on a daily basis, right? Like we just Uh wake up and it's like, you're already in reactive mode. And so what's the feeling that I really want? Freedom. I want to be able to come and go as I choose and be on my own schedule and do what I want to do when I want to do it, which is like, it seems so silly, but yeah, that's what I want at the end of the day. Right. And I feel like a lot of other, other moms are in, in similar boats. So how do I, so once I recognized that, that like I was, you know, spending money on this pair of shoes. So I could imagine in my head that I would wear it out to dinner some night when I'm not with my kids and I'm with friends and I'm having a great time. Right. But that's not reality. Or, I mean, you know, we, it's few and far between when you do that. Right. So it's like, you can't just like the, the actual object in and of itself is a bandaid to fill Mm -hmm. a a void. And the void is that feeling that's missing. So what feeling is freedom. So how, how can I, I like to back into it. And the other piece I was going to say that you just mentioned is, is intention. And Mm -hmm. again, asking yourself, how do I want to feel and how are the, what are the things that I can do to help me feel that way today? And all I can do is start with today. I can't, I can't focus on tomorrow or next week. I mean, I come from a, we were talking about this a little bit before I come from a, perfectionist background. I'm a recovering perfectionist, as I like to say. And I keep thinking like, oh, if I make this habit change and I do it every single day for the rest of my life, then I'm going to be whatever, whatever it is. I'm going to feel so much better. I'm going to look so much better. I'm going to like, like lose all this weight. I'm going to like, right. I'm going to be like this perfect person. And that's not reality. And we can't, we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea what's going to happen next week. All we can do is focus on the here and now. So how do I want to feel right now? And Mm -hmm. that's an easier said than done concept. I feel like (laughs) for a lot of us, because our minds are constantly spiraling. Yeah. And, and there's also a lot of like, what's the right way to feel right now. And I think that this is particularly something that shows up for people who are socialized as women because we, from a very young age are trained that we're, we're only allowed to have certain emotions, like only 
like the following list of emotions is acceptable. You must be grateful. You must be patient. You must be generous. You must be all of these things. So you can't be angry. God forbid you be selfish because that's not going to work, right? Right. Like we have, we have to, like, we have to sort of run our feelings through this filter. And one of the things that I'll hear from my clients all the time is, well, it's actually a couple of things. One of them, they're like, I, I, what is, what's the thing that they say? It's like, I don't, I want money so I can do like good with it. Or like, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't need that much money. I don't have a good enough reason for that, whatever. And I'm like, the, that you want it is a good enough reason. You yeah. don't have to be like fucking mother Teresa yeah. to be able to like raise your rates 25% when they're not paying your electric bill. Like that's absolutely insane. And they'll be like, I should be grateful for what I've got. And I'm like, but if you don't want it, that's not like a useful perspective. You can right. use it for whatever you can until you can get something else. But that doesn't mean that you, that you have to stop. And so the idea of like how I want to feel today is like, well, I want to feel powerful and abundant and free and like whatever, but, but I've got these kids and then I'd be a terrible mother if that was how I felt. Right. It's like the stories we tell about how we want to feel. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up a good point. I actually just did an episode on this concept of like, it's okay to like money and to want more of it. And so many women like, feel the opposite, right? With that we should just accept what we have and that's good enough and we shouldn't ruffle any feathers, we shouldn't ask for more, right? Which is why, you know, women aren't negotiating salaries uh-huh. and negotiating, you know, any other kind of like pay or equity like men do, right? And that's also like it, we also find that there's so much shame in wanting more of what we have as if like uh-huh it makes us a bad person to have more of it. But yes, exactly. We have it all backwards. And this is what I think is like holding so many women back. I mean, you cannot change the world. You cannot change your life if you don't have access to resources, right? So there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with wanting more. It doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you greedy. It doesn't make you, you know, insert whatever negative adjective here about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's, it it makes you have the ability to be able to, to have so much more of an impact, right? You can do the things that you want to do. And I feel like if, if only women could just like understand that concept, then the world would change a lot. There'd be a lot more great things happening for great causes, for great purposes, because women are incredible and we have so much strength and so much power. And I just, I hate seeing us give it away. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's some level of intellectual understanding of that, but it's like, I understand that as it relates to other people, but I can't change the world by having more, I'd be a selfish bitch if I had more, right? Like there's, there's like a different standards, but this is the thing that comes up. So I, so I'm, I work in the coaching industry and I have had a lot of experience in the behavioral health health industry, worked with a lot of therapists. Um, I used to do a lot of like trainings and, and certifications and things like that for, for people in human services. And there's a, there's a couple of things that I see sort of in relation to those two roles that are kind of like a Venn diagram. Like they are different functions like coaching and therapy are different functions, but there is a lot of overlap because it all deals with human behavior. Right. And so there's a couple of things I see. One of them is that there are a lot of people in coaching who are afraid to charge competitive rates for their services because therapists aren't 
paid well. Like they're like, how can I charge more than a therapist? Because I'm not a therapist. I'm just a coach. I don't have and like, right. I don't have the credentials or the education. That right. They- like I don't have an MSW, so I can't charge. And it's like, hold up a second. Therapists are grossly underpaid. They're one of the most underpaid professions. And it's predominantly a, a like a, a women run profession. Like the majority of therapists are women. Like teaching is the mm-hmm. same. Yeah. And so if we're saying I'm in a different role and I can't charge more than this grossly underpaid, grossly undervalued yet essential service, we're not actually doing anything good here. We should be demanding that therapy, teaching, these other really critical things are compensated at an appropriate level, not dropping down to the lowest common denominator and perpetuating the idea that these just aren't that important because they're they're women's work, so we don't have to pay for it. Like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. And I see it. I see it in, um, you know, people who are in coaching where they have a deep sense of shame about charging for their services. And also like, I have to make it accessible to everyone. So I can't charge for this thing because then I'm not giving free labor away to the entire world. I'm like, why is that a fucking goal? Like, let's, let's not do that. (laughs) But, but then you'll see it from therapy. That's like, you shouldn't be charging that much. And what I want to say is like, bitch, you should be charging more and you should be demanding to be charged more. And like, take uh, take a note from this playbook over here and and look at how the coaching industry is sort of drawing light to this massive pay discrepancy and this massive undervaluing. Like so many therapists and social workers leave that field to come into coaching because of the extreme level of burnout and and lack of appreciation that they experience when they are, you know, working officially in, you know, like a health system or even as an independent practitioner because they can't they can't pay their bills and they're exhausted and they're carrying a caseload of like 40 patients a week. And you know, that's, that's burnout central, man. That doesn't work. Yeah. And the other thing though, is that if you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't charge more because these other people aren't charging more. We're not solving that problem. We're just adding to it, but we're also limiting what we can actually do in the world. So like, just because someone can't afford my rate to work with me one-on-one doesn't mean I'm not affordable. It just means that person can't afford me, but the people who can afford me yeah. pay me enough that I can do things like the podcast I just launched. Like I can do things like the fuck around Fridays, live group coaching sessions that I've, I've have one later today where people can come in and get coached live for seven bucks. You know, it's like, oh, it's it gives so cool. it, it funds my ability to contribute in other places and you don't have to give all your shit away for free. And like, eat SpaghettiOs out of the can because the power got turned off to be a decent person. You have an ethical obligation to charge appropriately to be able to take care of your needs and then to also be able to pay it forward. But you're also allowed to make more money than is needed to do that because you fucking want to. And like we attach all this like moral shit to how much we charge and, and what we do and the fact that we have to set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm all the fucking time. And how dare we ask for a glass of water in the desert and it just, it just keeps yeah. everybody stuck. It's yeah. just bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, we need to question, we need to stop and question those beliefs and those stories we're telling ourselves when they come up. I had a couple of things that I wanted to add to that. So to that point, right. If you're saying, right, that like, I'm going to charge this and, oh my gosh, what if people don't come to me? What if people don't buy it? 
there's always an audience in my mind. There is, there's an audience for different price points, right? Like you can't be everything to everyone. This is something that I'm, I've really like been doing a lot of kind of mm-hmm. personal work on myself. Like you got to know your, who your, who, who your audience is. And I just think about it like different, you know, stores, like there's a different price point. If you go in and you're shopping at Nordstrom, or if you're shopping at old Navy or, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is. So there's a different clientele. There's a different type of person that likes different things based on different price points. So yeah. we don't need to be everything to everyone. Right. Because it's just, it's just like anything. I mean, I'm thinking about that from money, but it's also like some people like you like different kinds of music. Some people like country music. Some people like Taylor Swift, like whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. So mm-hmm. everybody, there's somebody for everybody. Right. So that's something that I like, it's really been a lesson that I have been learning slowly over the last like, you know, year or two, it's been, it's been hard. I feel like because women are so conditioned to be everything to everybody. Right. So I yes. feel like if somebody doesn't like us, well, that's because then I'm inherent, I'm inherently bad, but if somebody doesn't mm-hmm. like you, it's just because you're not their person. Right. Right. And the other thing I wanted to mention too, that was related to something that you just talked about was like, we have to be the what is it the Maya Angelou quote we have we need to be the the light that I'm butchering it like the light that sh- I don't even know <laughs> but is, anyway is it the whole like concept of like with the be the change you want to see in the world yes be the change yeah. exactly so we need to like I, I think of it more as like put your oxygen mask on first right so mm-hmm. take care of yourself so if we're not the ones that are out there doing that thing, who else is going to learn from us? Where's the support, right? Like we're mm-hmm. all we're doing by staying small is telling other women that it's okay for them to stay small. So if we're not going to charge for whatever service it is, or if we're not going to put ourselves out there and start a podcast or do talk about these issues, you're, we're essentially like just saying to other women that it's okay to not do those things too. And to not, and to not talk about the things that you're passionate about and to not, you don't, you don't have a voice. You're not right. So Mm -hmm. we need to be able to be, I, I, when you think about like, no matter how scared we are or nervous we are or ashamed we are all, whatever negative anxious we are, all those negative feelings that we feel like, I think that the, the bigger issue here is that nothing changes if nothing changes, right? So it's yes. our job. It's our job to go out into the world and do something different. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I also want to add on to that because I think that it's, I think it's really important to acknowledge the nuance in things like put your oxygen mask on first and like you can't pour from an empty cup because both those are completely true. And also they're more often said to women than they are to men. And the sort of implication is that you must take care of yourself so you can take care of other people. And, and so we got, we have to like include that in the conversation or else it sort of perpetuates. You only get to take care of yourself if it facilitates your caretaking of others. And what I want to offer is like, yes, it is true that you can't pour from an empty cup, but you're allowed to have a full cup because you want a fucking full cup. You don't have to pour it out to other people. You just get to have it. Now, if the plane's going down and it's in your power to put a mask on someone else after you get yours on, I encourage you to do that. But you you are not required to participate in self-care so you can be a better machine serving others. You get to do that because you fucking get to do that. And 
It's what gives you the capacity and the resources and the ability to do the other things you want to do in the world and to, to create space for you to take up, but in doing so also create space for other women to step into. And so I, I think that that part of the conversation, we off, we often stop with just the phrase, and then we carry on. And I think that it just ties in so much to what we were talking about before we hit record about, you know, like the things that we want and, and how we take care of ourselves and where some of these beliefs come from is like, we, we really, as, as people socialize as women, we have to decouple our own wellness from our ability to perform for others. We have to decouple our own sense of worth and value in the world from our ability to perform for others, because that's not what it's about. It's something it allows us to do if we choose but we still get to be well and worthy if we don't choose to do that. Yeah. Agreed. And my whole beef with all of this is I know I wasn't. And if I wasn't, then likely most people weren't as well, but I wasn't raised to know how to do these things. I wasn't no. raised with like, here, here's your, here's your sense. Here's, here's what worthiness is. You are worth, like, I was not taught that I was just innately worthy just for existing. No. Right. And that's because my mom wasn't that way. And her mom wasn't that way. And these are things that I was just having this conversation with my husband this morning. Do I want, like, think about our kids, right? Think about that next generation. Do we want them to kind of be at the same place that we are right now learning this shit? at almost 40 years old and struggling and dealing with anxiety. No, like our job is to make life a little easier for them. Right. So like we mm -hmm. have to unfortunately do that work that our parents never did and, and help educate them, help them give them the tools in order to be able to better manage their own sense of worth, sense of confidence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as they go out into the real world, because, you know, we're not taught it. <laughs> Yeah, we're really not. And even um, like I took, I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't like home ec. It had a slightly like broader terminology by the time I was in high school, but it was basically that. Um, and we were supposed to be learning like life skills from it. Um, but more or less what I learned is I, I know how to make a cake that's in the shape of a penguin. Um, I know how to make baked Alaska. Yep. And I know how to like cut butter into pastry dough to make biscuits from scratch. Yeah. And those are all things that, you know, I enjoy because I like dessert and I really like biscuits, <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't really teach me about things like budgeting, meal planning, like resource management. How do you negotiate responsibilities in a household? Like it didn't really teach me that stuff. Coping skills. That's the other Yeah. Part. Like it's, and so I think that there are, there's like little pockets of it, but nothing ever really puts it together. And my parents did you know, the best that they could, like they taught me how to like balance a checkbook, but that's not a thing anymore. And so I've, you know, like I have a checkbook, but I like write like one check a month to like a place that doesn't take digital payments, which is weird to me in 2023, but like, I don't balance a checkbook. I use a debit card for everything. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, you does. know, like how do we, how do we like transfer that knowledge? Like, what does it look like to, to save up for, a car or like the difference between like buying a car versus leasing a car and how does appreciation work and all of, all of these details that it seems like other adults know how to do, but like, I, like I didn't get that. I know that chapter right. was like torn out of my manual or something. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, they, they taught us what they could, but like they didn't necessarily know. And they had their own money shit too. 
Right. And like for me, like I I grew up in a two parent household. My mom was primarily a stay at home parent, but we lived on a farm. And so she did like the chickens and the vegetables and she's a beekeeper. And so she like had like a a business in terms of like running the farm and then like selling those things and and generating some revenue for that. And my dad was self-employed in construction and my dad's approach to money was very much like, um, you get, you y'all can't see me cause we're just audio, but like palm facing up fingers spread wide where like the, the water just sort of like runs through the space between your fingers. And my mom's approach to money was like a tightly closed hand or fist, like holding onto it. And so there was this like intense, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like just like opposites, right? Like this intense difference between their two approaches to money and their backgrounds when it came to money and like their extended family when it came to money and then their, their opinions in like terms of how money should work in the household. And so that was like a whole other layer too. And now it's really interesting. I I'm 41 and I've got two little kids and I own a home and I'm married and I still feel like sometimes I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing when it comes to this stuff. Yep. Yep. And it's just, you know, like you, you have to learn as you go, but I'd really like to, you know, to do what I can to, like you were saying, like make it a little easier for my kids. I, I firmly believe that we all fuck up our kids no matter what. And like that, so like not doing that isn't the goal. Cause it's not possible. The goal for me is to fuck them up in new and exciting ways, <laughs> right? Like to do it differently from how my parents did me and their parents did them and their yeah. parents did them. Right. Like I want to, I want to like create new problems for my kids, not the same problems that my mom had and I have and you know, so on and so exactly. forth. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's just perpetuating the cycle. Right. Um, yeah. And you're not alone (laughs) at all. (laughs) I mean, I got into financial services because I knew nothing about money. I I want to learn. So I just applied for a job right out of college, no experience whatsoever, entry level. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn. And I remember, I remember even, it's funny, like the things that come back to you and the stories that the things that people tell you as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. I was like right out of college. So I was you know, 21 years old. And my sister was like, you're going to work in financial services. You don't know what, you don't know anything about that. Like you don't even know what's in your checking account. Um, and, and she's right. Like at the time I did it, I didn't know what a stock or a bond was. I didn't know any of that stuff. And I learned and mm-hmm. I got even more interested in it. So I decided to start taking classes to do, you know, the, the CFP, um, certified financial planner. And, I think that's how we all kind of stumble on things, but Uh it's, there's no shame in not knowing, right? Like not knowing anything, because guess what? Like, even though she didn't know, even though she was saying that to me, she likely didn't really know a lot about it either. Right. So I think that, that we like, again, there's that shame aspect of it. If we're just vulnerable enough to know what we don't know and to like call Mm -hmm. it out and to just ask questions about it. And want to be curious. I think curious, vul- curiosity, vulnerability, and confidence are so big mm-hmm. in this process, right? But yeah, you're right. Most households do have that exact same opposite dynamic where one yeah. person's a spender, one person's a saver, one person has anxiety, the other person doesn't really look at prices or care around it. And I think as a result, um, we have to find our own way. And mm-hmm. people don't necessarily recognize that there even is something called like a relationship to money, but it is so important. It's like any mm-hmm. other, it's like a relationship with yourself. It's like a relationship with somebody else because how, you need to be able to 
have a healthy approach to these kinds of decisions, conversations. And if not, it's just going to perpetuate that cycle. So, I mean, it's, I think it's knowledge, it's education. And, um, and again, like that self-compassion and knowing that, Hey, I'm not stupid. I just didn't learn this. Right. Exactly. And I think we also need to acknowledge that like the system's kind of set up this way. Yes. Like I like, you know, like capitalism is like one of my favorite soapboxes. And like, I like, I love capitalism. I really do. But the way that we are doing it is, is really, and this, I guess this is why we're, we're like in late stage capitalism right now. It's really set up to like screw the masses and benefit just a few people. Yeah. And that's not really like the, the, like the way it's supposed to work, but that's just sort of like how it always evolves when we do this thing. But, but the system really is set up for us to be afraid to ask questions, for us to yeah. not have transparency into the, the factors and the decisions that we're making and the repercussions thereof to make us feel dumb if we ask questions. And, and it, it, really, it really is set up that way. And what I'm here to tell you is that it's not as scary as you think it is. They yeah. just want you to think it's that scary. And when I say they, I guess I mean like, all of capitalism. I don't have patriarchy. a specific person in mind. <laughs> yeah. Like the patriarchy, damn it. Um, but it, but like in my first business, one of the things that I didn't really know anything about, and I'm still kind of getting the hang of, but like the thing I'm really got is like hiring people who know how to do it. I didn't understand taxes. And yep. so I knew in theory that I was supposed to be making quarterly payments to mm-hmm. the IRS mm-hmm. on my business income, but I didn't know how I didn't know how to calculate the amount. I Mm -hmm. didn't really understand when, and there wasn't a lot of space for me. Like I didn't know other people who could answer those questions for me. And so what ended up happening was I I just wasn't paying my taxes the way that I was supposed to, because I didn't understand what to do. And so I ended up owing like a a lot of back taxes. I made like a shitload of money in a very short period of time. And then I I had to, to pay taxes on it, but I didn't, I didn't really know how. And so this is the thing that people are scared of a lot. Like I'll hear people say, I don't want to make too much money because then I got to pay taxes. Like, I don't want to do this thing because then what if I, what if I can't figure it out? And I'm like, guess what? I had to pay taxes and I had to figure it out. And I'm here to tell you, it's actually not that bad. And I, I actually like one day I was like, this is so fucking stupid. I can't, I can't deal with this. So I called the IRS and I was on the phone with them for like three or four hours. And it was like, wow, like the best customer service experience. Like I think I have ever had. I it was fantastic. So <laughs> it was seriously, it was amazing. And like a part of me was really scared to call them, but I was like, look, man, I'd rather have bad news than just have like the fucking sword of Damocles hanging over my head. Yeah. And like, at least if I know what I'm dealing with, I can deal with it. So I called them. I was like, look, here's the deal. This is how much money I made. I just got this letter. I don't understand this shit. And I don't have, I, f- I forget how much money it was like $15,000 or something like that. It's like, and I don't have $15,000 to write you a check. So what are our options here? And they like walked me through everything and set up a it. payment plan yeah. that I could pay. And then they were like, if anything changes and you need to adjust it, please contact us immediately and we will adjust your plan so you can stay current. And like all of these things. And and it's it, the IRS is like the big thing that people tend to be the most afraid of um, for, for my clients when they're like freaking out about specific money things. But like they're not trying to like garnish the wages of a single mom who's working two jobs and trying to start a business. Like they want to be paid. And if they like take all all your shit and throw you in debtor's prison or something, like you're not, 
they can't get paid. Like they really want to work to get this handled. They're not going after normal people who like didn't understand a thing and want to make it right. You're not like laundering money through the Caymans and defrauding the U.S. government. You just don't know what the fuck you're doing. So call them and find out what needs to happen and just handle it. But people are scared because they think that they're going to get locked up or something. And that's and that's what I mean when I say it's not actually as scary as it seems. It's not actually as scary as it seems. And I say that as someone who has, I would say, survived bankruptcy and foreclosure because I had a medical crisis and I couldn't work for a year. And my, you know, mortgage company wouldn't work with me and my car people wouldn't work with me. And I'm like, look, I really want to pay you. Can we just tack these payments on the end so we can get our feedback under us? Cause I haven't been able to work for a year. And they were like, no. So, so, you know, we, we lost our house and we had to file bankruptcy and that was 11 years ago, I guess oh. at this point. Yeah. And I'm still here and I'm fine. But mm-hmm. like the, the system is sort of set up where like, sometimes that's your only option. And that's not because you fucked up. It's because it's a fucked up system. Exactly. That's it. It's not yeah. you. Yeah. It's not you. And the piece of all of this that like, I'm getting like what sums this up is like, like you said, it's not as scary as it looks, right? Money isn't scary. It's really not. It's just uncomfortable because we mm-hmm. do, we weren't taught it. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just, it's, it doesn't come naturally. Right. And we need to be brave enough to run towards the discomfort. Yes. That's a big, big, big lesson. I think for me personally, for a lot of people, because the fact that you, yeah, I mean, calling the IRS is like, I, it's like hell sometimes. And I don't, yeah. I don't do it that much, but I work with a lot of CPAs that, um, that do do it. And on behalf of our clients and it can feel like an overwhelming, daunting task. Right. But if you just do it and you have knowledge around it rather than avoiding it, right. Mm-hmm. The anxiety of avoiding, I think is 10 times worse than just like jumping into it and knowing, right. Knowing yes. what, what to do and coming up with like a solution. And I think that's like a metaphor for so many things in life, right? Like you probably have clients as they're working, you know, as business owners and working, going into something that is seemingly scary, right? Because you don't know how you're going to, you don't, you don't have that, or you don't know how you're going to make money, right? You Or you don't know, you don't have that stable source of income that you would from like a corporate job or something. That's, you know, running into the unknown and like embracing the discomfort, right? Because at yeah. the, on the other side of it is something better, whether that's knowledge or, you know, who knows? Like, I think educa- like education is a big component to this, but comfort, mm-hmm. right? Honestly, like safety, security, understanding, it's all, it's all better than feeling that anxiety of not knowing. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that comes up is I see this a lot in my clients is they get really anxious about like, well, what if I can't make enough money? What if I can't sign enough clients? What if I can't do this? I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make enough. I'm like, well, what's enough? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, let's find out. Yeah. Like a lot of those things that we think we don't know are actually knowable information. Yeah. And they'll like, so most of, most of my clients are um, service-based entrepreneurs and they'll carry a caseload of, of a certain number of like clients or customers at any given time. And they're always freaked out about how they're going to like find more people, find more people, find more people, find more people. I'm like, well, how many people do you need? And they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm fully booked with 10 clients at a time. I'm like, all right. So 10 clients at a time for six months at a time is 20 people a year. My math is not great. You're going to laugh because I'm pulling out my calculator. (laughs) But if we need 20 people a year for 50 working years, that's a 
thousand people to be fully booked for your entire career. And there's 8 billion people on the planet. You mean to tell me that you don't think you already know a thousand people like seriously, or they'll be like, I need to make more money. And like, I'm like, well, how much do you need to, you know, keep the lights on and do the things you want to do every month? They're like, I have no idea. Like, all right, well, let's, let's calculate it. Let's figure it out. I mean, I I don't, we don't need like exact numbers, but it's like, are we talking like $2,500 a month? Are we talking $25,000 a month? Yeah. And And they're almost always shocked. Yeah. People don't know that. We don't, we don't think, we don't think to know like the basic information. Like I talk about this all the time. Like what is like, what, what are our assets and our liabilities? What do we own and owe and what's coming in and going out? And so many people, it's so hard to do that. I mean, there's software, there's tools you can, that can do that, that can pull all your, you know, you can link up your accounts and your credit cards and all that stuff. And it'll like, it'll do that work for you, but knowledge and, is and even if, even if you don't have access to, or the desire to like use the software, you can do that shit literally on the back of an envelope. Like it's this much for rent or mortgage. It's this yes. much for electricity. Like you get the average, you total it up and say, it's like, you yeah. know, $4,000 a month. Okay. How are you going to make $4,000 a month? Let's, yep. let's just focus on that. How many yep. sales is that? How many extra hours is that? Like, what does that look like? Yep. Because until people actually know, they just spin in terror. And even if it's bad news, good news early is bad, or I'm sorry, bad news early is good news. Like it's better to find out on the front end when you can do something about it. And when you can like stop the hemorrhaging than to find out like five years down the road, because you were too afraid to look at it. And now you're in a really big hole. It's gonna be a lot of work to get out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And and having a plan in place for kind of the next steps for handling that is just one more step to being empowered, right? Like mm-hmm. knowing that you're, you know, putting your big girl pants on and we are going to take the steps to make this better, right? To mm-hmm. do what we need to do. Oh my gosh. I have had such a blast talking with you. This has been such a fun conversation. Before we wrap up, could you please tell everybody more about you, how people can find you, how you work with clients, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to find everything Kristen King is going to be on my website. It's kristenking.com, K-R-I-S-T-E-N king.com. And on there, you can get to my email list, which I highly recommend you subscribe to because I am delightful in your inbox and there's all kinds of good stuff in there. You can get linked directly to my podcast and I'll also send Megan the links. You can throw it in the show notes. Uh, But my podcast is on all the major platforms. It's called From Fuck Me to Fuck Yeah. Uh, But there's an asterisk for the letter U because that's what Apple asked me to do. Um, so that's a great way to stay in touch. Um, and all of my like social links and everything around both the website and in the podcast notes. Um, and then in terms of actually working with me, if you are a service-based entrepreneur and you are tired of following other people's bullshit rules and you want to start making your own rules and really thriving in your business, then we should probably talk. There are lots of ways to work with me. The two that I'm really excited about right now are um, my business intensives, which are like a mini deep dive session for about two hours into any aspect of your business or like a holistic look at your whole business ecosystem. So you can make some decisions and you can get freed up and start moving forward in the direction you want to 
right away. Um, so those are linked on my website and I'm doing those right now for the month of August for like 500 bucks, which is absurdly. Every time I say it out loud, I'm like, why am I doing this so cheap? Like I usually do it like a half day or a full day and it's like $3,000 or $10,000, but I'm like, why not? So the business intensives are like a screaming deal and that's really fun. And I may, I may do that beyond August, but I'm not sure yet. And then, um, then the other thing is that my, um, lifetime, membership program for entrepreneurs is going to be opening doors in the next couple of weeks. It's called the fuck. Yeah. Entrepreneur society. The acronym is F yes, obviously. And you'll be able to get all the information on that on my website and through my email list as well. So I would love it if folks would hit me up and, and see what there is. And I'd love to support you if that would be helpful. I love that. That's awesome. You also mentioned your Friday group coaching, right? Seven yes. coaching. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Thank Tell you for reminding about me about that. Yeah. So select Fridays every month. I do a very low cost live group coaching call on zoom. It's seven bucks, not 70, not 17, not 700. It's $7. And it is first come first served. And, and I'm not sure when you're going to air this episode, but in the month of August, we're doing it the 11th, the 18th and the 25th. And I'll be announcing the September, October, November, et cetera, dates on my email list, as well as on my social media, but it's, it's first come first serve. You pay seven bucks. You come in and get coached by me. If you know, you're in, in line in time. Um, and even if you don't get coached directly, you get to hear the coaching that everybody else gets and get all of the, the wonderful benefits of being coached yourself by learning what other people are going through, which is the same reason we love what, listening to podcasts, right? Yes. So you get to get coached directly and you get to see other people get coached and it's super fun. And because I charge appropriately for my one-on-one -on -one coaching and for my group coaching, I can afford to do coaching on select Fridays for seven bucks because that's how I make it accessible, not by putting myself in a position that I, where I have to eat peanut butter and jelly for every meal for my whole life, I was just gonna, to bring that back around folks. <laughs> I was going to ask too, you are, you're pricing appropriately based on your worth, not exactly. because that's what you think you should charge. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and the truth is your worth is like infinite. So like, you can't really like price based on your worth because yeah. it's infinity yeah. dollars, but the value that there is to, to someone else in what you're doing and like what the actual takeaway is for them. Like you, you got to price based on what that is. And it's fine to have stuff at different price points, but if you can't meet your own needs, I don't know how you think you're going to help other people meet theirs. Right. So this right. is, it's really, it's a really useful skill to have, to be able to learn how to charge in a way that, that lets you do these things. And so like a couple of years ago, I couldn't have afforded to, you know, spend two hours most Fridays coaching for seven bucks a person. But now I can because I set it up that way and it's really, really fun. So I hope folks will come check that out too. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Kristen. This has been such a fun conversation. I really appreciate your time and uh, can't wait to put this episode out into the world. I think everyone's going to love it. Yay. Thanks so much for having me.